0: Do you struggle with mental health or know someone who does? Join Gabrielle and Cherise as they discuss all things mental health. Each episode will be packed with information on coping, healing, and living a well-balanced life. We hope you join us in session.
1: Welcome back, you guys. We are in part two of our Q&A podcast session. You guys asked some really, really fantastic questions in part one, and we wanted to make sure we answered them thoroughly. And so we decided to split it up in parts one and two. And so now we are back for part two. In the first um, part, we did questions about friendships and some coping skills. And now we are here to talk about certain mental health topics and maybe diagnoses that people have questions about. The first question is, is it normal to feel like you were healed? And then something makes you hurt all over again. I think we kind of just touched on this at the last question of part two of checking social medias and, you know, (laughs) kind of being (laughs) reimagined of a life that people, that we're not in people's lives anymore. And so that can hurt us. And so maybe checking up on people's lives can make us feel hurt or Mm -hmm. having a reminder of something, a memory of something can make us feel hurt if we're not healed from it. But what do you feel
0: is the most common barrier to people feeling like they're healed? Yeah. Okay. Again, healing is a journey. And so I think we believe that we're like light switches, which we're not. You don't have a feeling about something and then I'm gonna turn it off and I'm done. No. So first of all, yes, it's completely normal to feel like you're quote unquote healed about something. And then something happens or reminds you of it and you realize you're not. It's not that you're not healed. It's just that you're in a healing process. So the journey is not on and off, like, oop, I'm healed now. (laughs) No, it's not how it works. And so I think, again, it's an expectation that, oh, I'm over this. I'm healed from that. I shouldn't have any emotion about it. Guys, no, that's not how feelings work. I wish they did, but they don't. And so if something hurt you in the past, it is very probable that if you think back on it, if you're reminded of it, it may hurt all over again, which is why you may have to stay on that process of healing. Um, Think about if you lose like someone to death, for example, and you may have really cried or mourned the loss of that physical person whenever their birthday rolls around or their death anniversary rolls around, you may have a sad moment. You may be like, man, I really miss that person. That's completely normal. It doesn't mean that you're not healed. It doesn't mean that you haven't made progress. It just means that you're human and certain things evoke a different emotion. It's perfectly normal. Yeah, I think you said it perfectly. If something is emotional to
1: us and something reminds us, reminds us of it. We are emotional human beings and we are going to feel some sense of emotion unless you're just avoiding your emotion altogether. And so that's a common barrier. I see if something emotional happens and we're like, yeah, whatever, like it wasn't anything, I'm fine. Mm. It's going to hurt us in the future later on because our body is going to keep score of those emotions and that experience. And so it might trigger us later on when something similar happens or if we're in the same pattern again. It's like, oh, crap, like (laughs) this is really emotional. I wonder why, because we didn't process or really start the healing journey in yep. the first place. And so it's fine to be on a healing journey. And it's fine to let emotions come up and to feel them and a process through them. That's yeah. always going to happen. But if we avoid them in the, the beginning, yep. they get bigger and bigger and bigger. And so if we're having a lot of big reactions to things, that's when we maybe didn't even start the healing process. And it, yep. it can be hard to start the healing process. Mm-hmm. As humans, we want to avoid anything that's hurtful. Yeah, something happens to us. We don't really want to address it. It's fine for a little bit, you know, kind of have time to even process what's going on and then start healing from it. That's Mm -hmm. fine. But if we just stay in that stage of avoiding it and not ever looking at it, that's when we might feel like, yep, we healed from it and we don't really care about it. We minimized it. And then something similar
0: happens later on or something reminds us of it and we're blowing up. Yeah, guys you got you can't avoid period like I, I know it's the natural response like oh that hurts I'm gonna ignore it but please don't because you only hurt yourself in the future and so I think I said before like it's okay to let it hurt don't try to run from the pain you know we in therapy we call it like sitting in the emotion and I know it is so uncomfortable I've had to do it myself but you really need to lean into what you're feeling and say yep it hurts like crap, but I'm going to stay here. I'm going to feel it. I'm going to process it. And I'm going to begin my process of healing. And I don't want you guys to think that you haven't made progress just because later down the line, you have an emotional response again. Obviously, like Cherie said, if the emotion is really, really big, maybe we haven't dealt with it properly. But if you have a moment where it hurts a little bit or where you, you you get down about it, that's okay. That's normal. You're human. Emotions come a dime a dozen. Accept that they're there, they're like waves, they come and go. It's all right, but you still make progress as long as you don't avoid.
1: Yeah. It's, it's okay for emotions to come up. I think the thing with starting the healing process is that they should become more manageable over time. Right. And so when we come into therapy, we're usually like, yeah, and our emotions are all over the place. I don't know what's happening. We're having big blows here and there. Our reactions are just not, they don't feel controllable. Mm -hmm. And so you learn over time to sit with that emotion, like you said, and then it becomes almost like a tolerance. Like we can tolerate the emotion a bit longer and we can manage it better. We can, we know what to do. We know how to approach the emotion in a more healthy way. And so no, the emotion is not, ever going to go away we might be Mm. triggered death anniversary is a big one or birthday anniversary of someone who passed away that rolls around every year Mm -hmm. and instead of having like a big huge reaction like when they first died I know it's kind of like shocking Mm -hmm. and you have a lot of emotions that are hard to bear with when the anniversary comes around you might feel the emotion but you're managing it you're grieving in a healthy way that's not affecting your functioning to the point where you can't do daily tasks or get what you need to get done
0: yep it's always about making progress. we got to make progress. If you, if you are struggling with this, get into therapy because that's one of the best tools for learning how to ride those emotions and not feel like you're being crushed by that wave whenever they come up. So yeah, definitely yes. seek help if you need it.
1: Perfect. Yes, our next question is about anxiety, about mm. picking a career path. What do you think
0: causes anxiety when it comes to careers? People want to get it right. People want to get it right on the first try. And I understand that. But that is a lot of pressure. For some people, they are literally graduating high school in a lot of instances at 18. And they're expected to go to college kind of as the quote unquote traditional path. And you're supposed to have a major picked out and I'm supposed to know what I want to do for the rest of my life. That's bullcrap. I mean, <laughs> some people, like I have met some people who are like, "Oh, from the age of two, I know what I wanted to do." Great for you, boo.
1: Was not <laughs> my case.
0: <laughs> was not my case. And so I think there's just this immense pressure that I've got to get it right, and I should already know. Stop that. Okay, that is not true for the majority of the population. And so I think that anxiety comes up because people assume that they should already know what they want to do. They feel like they're in this race, right? If I got a race to the finish to be successful. Take it at your own pace. Who who are you racing against? Right, right if you take it at your own pace, I
1: think you're better off making the correct decision. Cause if you're racing, you're just searching like, Oh, this looks like a good fit. I'm just going to pick it. Right. Yeah. But sometimes you have to ask yourself important questions. Like what do I want to do? Is making a difference important for you? Is flexibility important for you? I've had anxiety about, you know, not a career path because I went to school to be a therapist, but about what to do after school. Right. Yeah. Private practice or agency work. And I was leaning towards agency work my whole career. Wow. Okay. I didn't know that. I texted you. I texted you. (laughs) I remember I texted Gabrielle when I made the decision to be in private practice I was like hey girl I'm sticking around we should like go in together and stay in town and open up this private practice and luckily she was like yes let's do it but I decided that very last minute because I was like agency work is more convenient can just get a job I'm not really business savvy and so I was like I don't don't really want to do that I was having a lot of anxiety about making a decision but an important question for me was you know, what's going to be most flexible for me. Mm-hmm. And private practice was the answer. And so I was like, okay, well, I have to set my anxieties aside and see what I can tangibly do to make this a reality. And yeah. then you realize almost that the anxieties are there. It's, it's in your head, you know, yeah. there's a lot of questions of, can I do this? Am I, am I able to do this? Is this going to be successful? A lot of what if questions that you can't necessarily answer. And sometimes you just have to make the leap to answer yeah. the questions yourself, doing it in the forefront while you're planning is not going to give you those answers. And sometimes Absolutely. it's going to be trial and error. Yeah. Do I like this? Okay. I tried it. I don't like it. I'm going to move yeah. on. I mean, yeah. that's
0: the reality of it. Yes. And I will say this, make sure that as much as you can, But take it at your own pace and make sure that you're making the decision from a place of clarity as best you can. I think sometimes we make decisions out of desperation or out of some type of struggle type of thing. And so real life example, you know, growing up, I didn't come from a ton of money. And so initially when I went off to college, you know, my mind was set on. I need to make a lot of money. I need to never struggle again. And if I'm honest, a struggle mindset will cause you to make some decisions that may be financially beneficial, but are you fulfilled? Are you happy? And so that's initially why I have two degrees in business because look, this is stable. I can make money. I won't have to struggle again. And while that was true, it was a financial blessing to me. I was not happy. I was not fulfilled. And so what did I have to do? I had to reestablish myself. I had to re-envision what life I wanted. And that's when I went back to school to be a therapist. And so Obviously, I'm much more happy now. I'm fulfilled. I have found my lane. And I'm so excited that I did. But I had to stop making decisions out of struggle. And I literally had to decide like, yeah, I want to be financially stable and successful. But I also want to be happy. And I've got to find a way to do both, which is totally possible.
1: It's totally possible. And sometimes you have to sacrifice, like you might not be as financially stable, which was your goal, but you tried it out and it's not making you happy. And so what else can I do? That's going to be a bit of a balance. I don't want to struggle. Of course, I want to be fulfilled and make some money. What can I do? That's going to do that. That makes me feel feel good as a person. It makes me feel like I'm contributing to my goals or whatever makes you feel fulfilled. And so if you are already in a career path, you have to ask yourself, hard questions of, am I happy here? Do I want to do yep. this forever? Can I see myself doing this forever? Is this beneficial to my life? Yeah. And if not, start thinking about the different yeah. options. And those different options are going to bring up the same questions. And you might not know the answers, but yeah. you can know for sure that the career path that you're in, you can answer those questions. And right. so based on those answers, you can start to to segue out and think about what What else might be a possibility? It's about thinking about possibilities. Yeah. It's not, you're not going to get a different answer. Up, this career path is going to be perfect for you, it's going to, everything's going to be perfect. No, it's about what is
0: possible for you and what's going to make you feel the best. Yes. Risk and reward, risk and reward. Embrace the Mm -hmm. risk. It will come with anxiety, but the reward is worth it, especially when you do what's right for you. Okay, keyword right for you. So, lean into it. No one is going to decide that. Yeah. Use me as an example if you have to. I'm here. I met Sharice. We're good. Yay. I love it. The anxiety was worth it. The anxiety (laughs) is worth it. Um, Awesome. Our next question is mothers adjusting to children with ADHD, which this is really, really common actually. So, Mm -hmm. Sharice, I know you spent a ton of work with kids like five and up, right? Mm -hmm. And then I kind of, um, t- I take them when they're older. So I, I get them at like 11 <laughs> and up, which is totally fine. But um, what do you see in terms of mothers adjusting to kids with this diagnosis?
1: It's really tough because anytime it's not even ADHD, but any diagnosis, it's yeah. hard to accept that my child is different. That's the yeah. first barrier is my child is different, not in a bad way. Right. You know, some parents might see it in a bad way. Like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know what to do. I, I never had this in my family. It's, it's kind of foreign. And so mm-hmm. they freak out. But the first step is that acceptance of my child is different. Yep. It's okay that they're different. Their brain is just wired differently. And so what that means, especially if they're in the area that I serve five, five-year-olds, five to seven, the parents are going to have to do a lot of work to change what they're doing to make the child more successful. And so if you can come to acceptance first. That allows the parents to get on board with doing behavioral, tangible things that are going to benefit the child. So, for ADHD, for example, setting really you know strict routines that they mm-hmm. follow, maybe even going on medication, mm-hmm. um, putting them in different sporting. Um, clubs or groups that, that focus their energy in specific ways, controlled in specific ways, because a big symptom of ADHD is aggressive or impulsive behavior. And so having an outlet for that. Mm -hmm. And so that's a lot for task of a parent to have their child Mm -hmm. on a routine, have them in sports, you know, help with homework, do different coping Mm -hmm. techniques, medication. It's like a a big balancing act, right? And so if you can get to the acceptance of my child needs these things because he is Wire differently. Yeah. His brain is wired differently. His or her brain is wired differently. That allows the parents to feel better about what they're doing. Yeah. Now, if parents avoid that, they're going to continue doing what they're typically doing. If, even yeah. if they have other children, it's like, well, this works for this child. Mm-hmm. Well, you yeah. know, your child with ADHD is going to be a little bit different. And so we yeah. have to do specific things that are going to help this child. Yeah. And I think that is what I see that's most helpful is parents'
0: acceptance of the diagnosis. Absolutely. And I would just kind of piggyback and say that understanding that different isn't bad. Different is not bad. Life is what you make it, and that includes the life you have with your children. And so if the diagnosis is ADHD or anything else, Understand that, hey, his his or her life does not have to be quote unquote bad because we have this quote unquote label now. No, it's whatever you make it. And so Sharice gave you guys some really cool tips on, you know, I may have to get strict on routines or find intentional activities to focus his or her energy. Do the things, get creative. And I think the the main thing is love on your child, love on yourself and get creative. Creativity, man, is really an underused resource for making it through life. (laughs) Because Mm -hmm. sometimes life throws us curveballs, life gets difficult, and we get stuck. We're like, oh my God, this ABC path I have is not working. Well, let's Mm -hmm. switch it up. Let's get creative. Maybe it's not ABC. Maybe it's DEF or Z (laughs) E L. right? Like, Get really creative. Learn how to make life work on your terms. And specifically with your children, what works for them, what works for you, and do that. I don't care how the Callaway family does it or how the Williams (laughs) family does it, what works for my family and do that. If you need help, there are phenomenal therapists such as Sharice and myself who work for specific demographics. Get help if you need to talk to the teachers at your school or the school counselors, if they're, you know, effective and qualified, but get resources, get help and get creative and make the most of life because you only get one.
1: Yeah, and it's hard because it takes a lot of adjustment. The question is about how to adjust. Well, the parent is going to have to do a lot of the adjusting, so you might have to change your routine, unfortunately. You had a routine set, and your child's diagnosed with ADHD, and now it's like it's not ABC anymore, like you said. You as a parent have to do what you can control, which is changing the routine and changing some things for your child so that, that you can see the benefit in them. If you're really strict on, I need to be ABC, I need to stick to ABC. Well, you might not see you know, the benefit coming out of your child. They're going to be on that same routine that's not helping them. Yep. And it's not going to help you either with your stress level or you managing the behaviors that you're seeing in them. Children alone cannot manage their own emotions no. and behaviors at times. And with ADHD, it makes it even harder because there is that impulsivity and it's hard to just focus for a, a, a mm-hmm. sense of amount of time. And so the parents really have to to take a big step up. And I know mm-hmm. it, it can change your whole routine or change how you're used to doing things if you already have children, but you have to be willing
0: to, to say, okay, what do I need to do that's going to benefit yeah. our family? Be flexible, be flexible. flexible. And if you're having a hard time with that, just get help. There's no shame. There's nothing wrong right. with getting help, but it is going to exactly. take some adjustment and flexibility. Exactly. The next question we have is love languages and the importance of them. So this kind of is specific to the five love languages. Um, It's a really great book. I think it's by Gary Chapman. And it just, Mm -hmm. it's really for us. There's a singles version and a relationship version, but it's the love language. So it's like active service, physical touch, words of affirmation, um, quality time, all those good stuff. So, first of all, Cherise, I know we have, like, different modalities for treating couples, but are you a fan of love languages, that kind of thing? I am. I think it really helps with relationship satisfaction.
1: I think if you can give and receive love and understand your partner's love language, um, it limits – Conflict. So, for example, if I receive love by quality time, but my partner is used to giving me gifts and I don't really receive yeah. love that way, I might feel underappreciated or I might feel like, like what right. are you doing? Like, mm-hmm. I don't I don't see your effort. Right. And so if in, in sessions, if they could understand their love language and the way that they receive it, they can communicate that to their partner make some changes here and there. Not saying that you can't ever give love in the way that's comfortable for you, yeah. but you want to incorporate your partner's love language. And then that'll cut down on some of that feeling of you know not being appreciated or my partner's not showing any effort. Yeah. Um, sometimes I think, we we don't take our partner into consideration and we think that what we're doing is enough. Um, I see that a lot. And so like, why doesn't, why don't they appreciate me? I'm doing all this, 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 and that. Mm. Okay. Well, all of that is great. Not saying <laughs> it's not great, Yeah. but your partner might not be understanding it in that way. They might, they might appreciate it, but they're not going to appreciate it on that deep level of right. wow, like they're really intentional or wow. They're really putting effort into showing me that they care and that they love. And it shouldn't always be, you know, one sided of do this, this and that, because it's my love language. There can be a mixture of things, but I do think that it does limit some of that conflict and and communication or miscommunication about about appreciation, about effort.
0: Yeah, I think for me, the main takeaway and the importance of the love languages is the idea of the love tank. I think it is critical that you understand what it takes to have your love tank filled and also how to fill the love tank of your partner. Um, If you choose to do that through the five language vehicle, great, but if you aren't a fan of it, I think at the very least you need to take the philosophy of the love tank and making sure that you fill it up. Um, A lot of people that I've talked to really embrace the idea of five love languages. So if you haven't already, get the book, read a little bit about it, take a test. There's a test online that you can see which are your top like two or three love languages, but make sure that you're doing things intentionally to fill that love tank up. All of us or most of us drive cars to get to various places. You're not going anywhere if that tank is on E, okay? <laughs> no, like, no, this is kind of funny. When I was 16, I ran out of gas. Got to put gas in a car. <laughs> but, you know, I wasn't going to get anywhere. And it's the same thing with relationships. Your relationship will stall. It will get unfulfilled if we are not making regular deposits. So figure out what that is for you, figure out what it is for your partner. And you both have to be committed to making regular deposits in that love tank if you want your relationship to thrive, right? Cherise is the owner of Thrive Therapy. She can tell you all about how to thrive, but seriously, (laughs) if you want your relationship to thrive, you gotta pour into it. And the love language is a really Mm -hmm. great way to do that.
1: Yeah, and I think meeting needs is a great factor of of relationship satisfaction. So if I feel like my needs are met and you're making an intentional effort to meet my specific needs, which is my love language, Great, I'm going to be satisfied. Like, I'm probably yeah. not going to have any complaints about yeah. it. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to feel like you're listening to me. I'm going to yeah. feel heard. I'm going to feel respected. All of the important values in the relationship are going to be present. And so, like I said, there's going to be, you know, not so much miscommunication or conflict. It's going to be, okay, I'm feeling heard. You know, my partner does understand me and we're in a good place. Yeah. Now, of course, love languages can't fix everything, right? right? There's going to be conflict and there's going to be times when you guys are not understanding each other, but the love language can make. The foundation a bit stronger because you are feeling valued in the relationship, which is a very, you know, of course, telltale factor of satisfaction.
0: Yes. And the main thing is that relationships require effort. Okay. If you don't want to put in the effort, you will not have a lasting, satisfying relationship, period. Even if you stay with that person forever, I can guarantee you you will not be satisfied fully. And or he or she will not be satisfied fully. So if you want to have a thriving relationship you are going to have to put in intentional effort. So if you want a better relationship, put in better effort. <laughs> exactly. Amen.
1: <laughs> Amen. Thrive. Let's thrive, people. <laughs> All right. Our last question. Yay. We're on our last question is maintaining a healthy lifestyle as a professional. Mm-hmm. You must be tough. Tough, right? Work-life balance. I think it's, for me, it's being consistent with the healthy habits that I have, as well as the energy I'm putting into work. And so some days I'm going to put way more energy into work just because I have to. I might have a fuller schedule on Monday than I do on Tuesday. So on Monday, I might put a lot more energy into work because I have to. Right. But then on Tuesday, when I have a bit of a break, my energy might be more towards doing healthy habits. I'm still Mm going to be putting energy into work. And so, like I said, on the work-life balance episode, it's not about I work eight hours at work. I need to do eight hours a day of healthy habits, right? No, not possible. But throughout the week, I want to have a balance of I'm putting what I need to into work, but I'm also putting in what I need to for my healthy habits. That makes me feel balanced. It makes me feel good to where I'm going into work. I'm serving my clients, feeling yeah. refreshed. I'm not drained or not burnt out. And I'm also going home feeling good I have my healthy habits, my, my gym, you know, walking my dogs making healthy meals. Like I have time at home to do those specific things that are going to fulfill me.
0: Yep. Yep. If you guys don't know anything else about me by now, you know that I love balance. (laughs) (laughs) So I I probably need like a a hashtag balance across my life. But Charisse is exactly right. You've got to find a way to balance it. And that balance is going to look different, spread out across the week, across the month. But however you have to do it, you've got to create balance for yourself. And as a professional, I like that you put this, how to maintain it as a professional. Because I understand that for a lot of people, you want to rise to the highest level of your profession, whatever that is. And there's nothing wrong with achieving excellence and wanting more for yourself. But you cannot do it on the altar of sacrificing yourself. And so as a professional, I would just admonish anybody... Make your professional goals, but make sure that your personal goals, how you're loving on yourself and pouring into yourself is just as important. Because if you put your professional life over your personal well-being, you're not gonna be able to maintain that healthy balance. And so I'm gonna challenge you guys to redefine what success is for you and say like, hey, if I really wanna be this great professional, if I really wanna be successful, I gotta have a better working definition. And that means I gotta balance that thing out. I've gotta take vacation days and rest days. I, can, I may work hard on Mondays and Wednesdays and I may take it slower on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Finding that rhythm that works for you, but the pace cannot be on go full throttle all the time. Because as a professional, like Cherie said, you will burn out. As a
1: society, we we highlight, oh, let's grind. Like, you know, yeah. I'm going to die. I'm, I'm going to be having rest when I die. Like, yeah. no, thank you. I'm going <laughs> to rest while I'm here because I love my rest. And I think it's about being flexible with our yeah. professional goals. So you can, it, I feel like sometimes we have fixed goals. Like, I need to get this by this mm. or I need to rise to the top by this. Well. Yeah. That makes us so hyper fixated and then we get burnt out. We cannot yeah. hyperfixate for so long. I think the hyperfixated make makes us motivated. Mm-hmm. But then that motivation doesn't last very long. And so we get nope. really burnt out. And then when we're burnt out, we're not doing our healthy habits. And so nope. it's all even hyper fixating on healthy habits too. I get in the habit of I'm going to the gym every day. Yeah. And then next week I'm like, ooh, like I'm tired. I don't want to go. Yeah, And so it's all about a healthy balance on both goals because yeah. we want to be motivated to reach our goals. But if we're hyper fixating, we're mostly getting bursts of energy here and there. And we're not reaching our goals anyways because we're burning out before we can even get there. Mm-hmm. And so make them flexible. If you need to take time off, do it. Don't feel guilty. Just make sure that you have enough motivation to last, to get to your goal.
0: And I like that you brought up the culture component, because we do live in a culture that is really big on, you got to be going, you got to make that money, secure the bag, blah, blah, blah. 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 And (laughs) again, do what you need to do, support your family, support you, go after the lifestyle that you want. But if you truly want to be a professional, if you truly want to be successful, you aren't going to be able to sustain that type of of rhythm, that type of pace. So I'm going to challenge you, if you are really that committed about securing the bag and being professional, understand that to do that long-term, Keyword long term, you're going to have to balance it out because otherwise you're going to rise to the top, but you're not going to be able to stay there. So, redefine what success mm-hmm. looks like for you and understand if you're that serious about being a professional and all that kind of stuff, you're going to have to balance it out. Otherwise, it won't last. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, we want you to rise to the top and stay there, not not stay there. So <laughs> make sure you're having a balance so that all your good work and hard work is, is leading somewhere and it's being able to be maintained. We don't want you to yeah. do all this work and grind, and grind, and grind and get there and then you can't even maintain it. That, exactly. That that's
0: awful we don't want that to happen so Mm-mm. just make sure there's a balance we always say that that's our favorite yeah. word here is balance and it's it's like my favorite song one of my favorite songs all I do is win 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 no matter what but <laughs> then it says and I stay there right I want yes. you guys to win but stay there so oh I exactly. should probably like insert that's probably like copyright yes. laws but that's
1: <laughs> that's fine <That's> I <laughs> love it well thank you guys so much for tuning in to part one and two you guys answered or asked some amazing questions and we're so glad we got to answer them for you we'll be back with a new episode soon. So stay tuned and be ready for more. Thank you guys so much.